The Lord be with you. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this night and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us tonight anew, and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you can go ahead and pull this out, and um, hopefully uh, by the little uh, cartoon up in the corner you can tell uh, that both the Ten Commandments are completely thoroughly modern. Um, my friend is actually doing some teaching on the Ten Commandments, and this is his logo. So, hey, way to go. Uh, now, if you haven't, how many people have a cell phone and have downloaded uh, Luther's small catechism onto it? You may feel free to take out your mobile device at this moment and uh, have it in front of you. Open up the small catechism. Um, how many of you bought the uh, study guide edition? Oh, sweet. If you haven't, I encourage you to go do that. It's actually really good. Uh, if you don't have a mobile device and you did... What's that? And you don't have... Yes, Nathan. I do not know the answer to that. That is... I, I'll have to find that out. He said it's given a 9-plus rating for violence. Fantasy and violence? I, I have no idea why. If uh, anyway, if you don't have uh, a phone uh, with uh, or a mobile device uh, and would like a small catechism, I have a cup, couple. Anybody need one or want one? Or or it's in your hymnal on page 1160. Uh, just in case you're ever wondering what your preacher is talking about on Sunday morning, you actually Luther does encourage both pastors and preachers to uh, have an anchor point for their sermons somewhere in the small catechism. Uh, so if there is a Sunday where you feel like the pastor has been particularly off base, you might just open it up and ask, now, which part of the small catechism was this related to again? Don't do that. I'm <clears throat> All right, we're going to, so um, I think as I talked about last week, probably at too much length, um, one of the things that I've recently learned about the small catechism in particular is that Luther most likely has his three-year-old son in mind. Uh, when thinking about the small catechism, in addition to others who are going to be learning. But for me, this makes it a significantly different document than something that we beat into the heads of poor confirmation students. Uh, it is an intimate confession of Luther's faith. And I know that we've all learned that these things after the Ten Commandments or the Creed or the Lord's Prayer that Luther writes were called explanations. I just think that's terrible language. These are Luther's confessions of faith. Uh, and for me, that makes a huge difference about what these things actually are. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, my goal tonight is actually to get you to talk to each other a little bit by the time we get to the end. So I'm going to try and work quickly through a little bit of an orientation to the Ten Commandments. Um, so these are the questions that I'm going to use. You have my outline right there in front of you. So where in the Bible, we're going to focus particularly on the Ten Commandments tonight, next week, the, the Creed, and then the Lord's Prayer, and then at the end, some of the other stuff at the end, Okay. Um, most of uh, the small catechisms have three chief parts, those three, and then two others at the end, sacraments and some prayers. So we're going to talk about, about the Ten Commandments. So where in the Bible do we find the Ten Commandments? Anybody know? Where in the Bible, where in the biblical story do they come from? Exodus. Exodus 20. Sweet. Very good. It's actually, if you have the small catechism on your phone, it's telling you this. There's another. Yeah, that's good, right? Yeah, see, smart. Mm, mm, good stuff. That's an open book test. Uh, it also is in one other place. Deuteronomy 5. Am I wrong? Oh, you said 9. Oh, no. Oh, nice. Oh, Deuteronomy 5. 
Uh, and how many commandments are there really? Well, it all depends on how you count them. So in both of these situations, there are about 16 or 17 lines in uh, the way that they're unfolded. Uh, nobody is exactly sure why we ended up with 10. Lots of people think it's really just for educational purposes. <laughs> 10 is a better number than, say, 16. Um, so that's kind of nice. Um, confirmation students will know this. Um, in many, many depictions of the Ten Commandments, uh, you don't have five on one tablet and five on the other. In fact, there are none written on Moses' uh, tablets on all my confirmation students are raising their hand. Uh, on, on one tablet, there's actually three, and on the other hand, there is seven. Who knows why? Ellie Barrett in the balcony. Give her a round of applause. That... Did I just earn my salary as a confirmation teacher this year? I think I did. Yeah, so, that's, so she's right. So um, oftentimes you'll see depictions where there are three listed on one and seven on the other. The three are our relationship with God and the seven are our relationship with one another. Handy, right? Gives you a little tool right out of the chutes. You could probably nail the first three without even trying. So you got like 30%. You could probably make up four or five of the other ones. So you're like 80% there, right? I think that's pretty, anyway, that's sort of handy. Um, in the context of the biblical story, uh, what is the context, I should say, of the biblical story that the Ten Commandments are given? What's the overarching name of the story uh, that uh, the Ten Commandments are given? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? The Exodus story, right? Yeah, so um, uh, God has just led via Moses uh, them out of slavery into the wilderness. And um, so in that story, what is the purpose of these Ten Commandments? Or why do they come about? To give some order to this new group that has just left. That's a great answer. If you were a bunch of slaves and suddenly you have just now been freed, uh, probably having some rules to live by would be a handy thing, right? Um, and probably something to help you with your identity, right? Like, now who are you now, right? Any other uh, answers to what are the, what's the context or what's happening here? What's that? Yeah, the people, yeah, they strayed, right? I mean, before Moses has even come down off the mountain, uh, the story sort of flash forwards, and they're down there collecting gold and building a golden calf, right? They, they, now, Moses is up on the mountain a while, but nonetheless, they, uh, they have not paid attention from the very beginning, right? Any other reasons? What else is happening here? What are, what are the Ten Commandments in relationship to God and these people? It's sort of their marriage contract, uh, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. God in the uh, Old Testament and in our understanding is a God that chooses. Um, in Greek mythology, you know, sometimes the gods are kind of to be avoided, actually, because they can be sort of spurious and their relationship to you is kind of wacky, right? But uh, our God, the God of the Old Testament and the God in Jesus Christ is one that chooses us. And God says, these are sort of the terms of our agreement. This is how we're going to live together, so to speak. So that's the context of the Ten Commandments. Um, and now, thinking back to when you were confirmation students, if you can pull this one out or not, uh, what is the function or purpose of the Ten Commandments in Luther's small catechism? 
And maybe a little background about this is that in many of the catechisms of the day, the Ten Commandments came last, not first. Luther reverses the order. Yes, Ellie. Why? Go ahead. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying, Ellie. So she's right, actually, uh, that the reason the Ten Commandments come first in Luther's understanding is that they are to uh, drive you uh, to understand that your relationship with God is actually not right. Um, And um, to remind you, actually, of your need for God. Uh, and that we are not particularly adept uh, at following the law. In, in lots of the catechisms of Luther's day, the Lord's Prayer and the Creed came first because they were like, well, we'll give them a little faith, and then we'll tell them how they're supposed to live. Uh, and what Luther really understands is that human beings, the thing we talked about last time, is we are particularly curved in on ourselves and particularly selfish. Uh, And the reason Luther puts them first is to remind us that we are often not very good at following God's um, uh, expectations for us. Um, There's there's another interesting thing that Luther does um, with the order of the commandments uh, in the hierarchical structure. Um, One of the things that often confirmation students will ask is especially when we get to the fourth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. And lots of times they will say, well, like always. Uh, or, uh, and Luther does an interesting thing with the fourth commandment. He expands it to all authority, government and people who are in higher positions than you. Um, and um, the, the question often becomes is, well, what about abusive parents or abusive governments or abusive things like that? Luther actually does have a hierarchical orientation to understanding the way the Ten Commandments work. And if there are parents or uh, government officials or things like that who have not followed commandment number one, Luther often feels very free to offer some rather non-subtle remarks about especially the Pope's uh, relationship with God and how the Pope is doing as a supervisor, so to speak, over others. So Luther actually has this sort of uh, hierarchical orientation uh, to the, the Ten Commandments itself. And he's not a particularly significant literalist either. He, he um, both expands them uh, and um, uh, talks about the way some of them are used in their cultural context as not being even applicable to Luther in his day, uh, which is quite interesting. So um, let's see now, let's see. We did that one, we did that one. Ah, I know. Um, So uh, there's this interesting device. If I were to ask you, how does the beginning uh, of each of the Ten Commandments, how does Luther's confession begin? How many of you could tell me sort of without looking? In other words, what does this mean for us? And Luther then says, we are to fear and love God. They all start that way. All of the beginning of Luther's confessions to his Ten Commandments start that way. Does anybody know why? Because 
Nathan. Yeah, it is an everyday thing. It does catch your attention, right? And it's sort of a new, it rem, you remember it, right? If you repeat it time after time. And it is meant to be a daily thing. Um, Luther says that all of the Ten Commandments hang on the very first one. Uh, that we are to love God or have no other gods before us. Luther thinks that if you were to figure that one out, actually, and that is the most important one. So what's really interesting is that he builds that into the beginning of each and every of, the explana- of his confessions of the Ten Commandments. Um, And so at the beginning of all of the Ten Commandments is his confession. He begins by saying, we are to fear and love God. Um, Which, to me, is a pretty interesting little way of helping you remember what the first one is. uh, And that they all actually refer in part back to uh, being in right relationship with God. How does this little phrase grab you, however? That we are to fear and love God. How does that strike you? Nathan. Yeah, that's a good... So he asks, why are we supposed to fear him? Anybody have an answer to that? That's the word that usually catches people. Yeah, Ellie. My confirmation students are beating your pants all off tonight. I'm just telling you. Go ahead. What's that? To respect God, Lily says, right? Ellie. Yeah. Ellie said, fear him sort of like a parent, right? Um, I, we don't, um, the one thing that I thought about this a lot is there's, there's a lot that a guy named Timothy Wangert makes about this juxtaposition between fear and love God. And he talks about the fact, um, and Luther's always trying to anchor things in the biblical story. And so Moses is somebody that actually gets to see God. But Moses doesn't get to see God like face to face. Moses only gets to see God's backside as he passes by. And it's so impactful in Moses' life. His face glows. And when he comes down after that encounter, the people that he encounters are freaked out. And they make him wear a veil so that they don't have to see his face. And the Old Testament story often will say that anyone who were to see God face to face would die. Um, I'm not sure if we take God nearly as seriously as they did in the Old Testament, nor am I, I or as, as seriously as Luther did. Um, I think Luther really meant fear. Like, if you were to stand in God's presence as an individual human being, that would be terrifying. Um, and I, I don't think Luther means it to not just be respectful, but I think he means that to sort of give you a sense of your smallness in some regards. Now the question then is, what kind of God are you standing in front of? Is this a judgmental God or some sort of uh, trickster God or some sort of uh, hypothetical distant God? And Luther actually says no. Uh, Luther's whole uh, enterprise of the um, small catechism will hinge on his explanation for the first and second uh, articles of the creed where God is a loving God who chooses us, who forgives us. And so it's not a capricious God. 
Um, but I think Luther means for us to take seriously who God is and what God's relationship with us is like. Yeah, Wade. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Luther certainly feels that, right? I mean, that he was he took seriously his own education of having to be a confessing person to earn his way in and could never get there. Yeah, and his big turn is of course recognizing you know, that God actually impugns God's righteousness and love onto that person uh, and approaches him with love. Um, one of the things that I do like, um, one of the last things that they find that Luther wrote um, right before he died, or right as he dies, they go through his pockets. There were lots of people around when Luther died. Um, and what they find in his pocket um, is a, just a short little phrase that says, we are all beggars. Um, and there's uh, something about that that uh, relates Luther's sense of dependency on God for everything um, that I sort of like. So th- on Luther's deathbed, they pull out of his pocket this little thing that he had written down, and it's one of the last things they find. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's do this. Um, Luther gets asked a lot of questions. He is not just a theologian and a teacher, but he is also a pastor. And one of his best friends happens to be a barber. And his name is Peter. Uh, And you can go um, on the internet and you can go find Luther's letter to his friend Peter the barber. It's 30-some pages long. And what uh, Peter actually asks Luther is, how do I pray? (laughs) And then Luther rattles on for 34 pages. But what he does is this, and this is actually on your... Uh, little sheet here. It's a letter to Luther's barber and best friend, a simple way to pray. And he says this, um, a garland, he, what he, when Luther's barber asks him for a simple way to pray, Luther as the teacher says, do this, take the small catechism uh, and uh, pray it. And here's how I do it, is what Luther says. And he says, I create a garland of four strands I take each of the commandments. He actually does this with all of the parts of the small catechism, but we're just going to look at the Ten Commandments. He says, what does this uh, commandment mean as God's expectation for me? What does it mean as a thanksgiving for me? What does it mean as a confession for me? And what does it mean as a prayer for me? And the 34 pages are Luther does this for every little part of the small catechism for his barber friend. And then he says, do this every day and all will be well. And so here's the little clip out of uh, that letter that uh, highlights this. But here's what I found. We did this with our church council, and I said, turn to the person sitting next to you and think about and just go, let's just start with the first commandment, okay? And have a conversation with the person sitting next to you about what is God's expectation in this command. Uh, And you can read Luther's confession as a way of getting at that. Um, In what way is this a thanksgiving? Um, In what way could this be a confession and in which way could this be a prayer? Um, And the reason that I like this is it's a way of sort of diving into each of these very short little things, the Ten Commandments, but I think certainly you'll see that they're broader than one might imagine. So just for the next few minutes, turn to the person next, next to you and work through those four things, if you would. So... 
I find that to be a rather interesting, uh, I hope you did too, interesting way in to having some conversation um, and thinking about the Ten Commandments in sort of the way that Luther did um, and giving you a way of using the small catechism as a, as a devotional thing. Um, I think I said last time, even up until the day Luther died, in the letter that he wrote to his wife, Katie, he implores her to continue to read and discuss the small catechism. Uh, and Luther believes this is the central core thing, and that even as he gets older, he continues to pray and continues to reflect that he hasn't necessarily grasped all of the things that God has asked him to grasp just by studying the, uh, the small catechism. So here's some just brief takeaways. You could use the small catechism and work through the Ten Commandments in the next week as a devotional using that little rubric. Um, I think the small catechism also could be defined as Christianity's for dummies. And this is how Luther described it, right? For people that are simple cattle or irrational pigs. I like this idea of thinking about it as a compassionate father teaching their son. And then here's the thing that... I, one of the problems I think we have these days as followers of Jesus is having a concise way of having conversations about our faith with our kids and our grandkids. This is the tool. And this is the way of initiating these conversations. Um, and I think would be a super, super handy thing, especially for kids and grandkids who have maybe found church to no longer be something that's important in their life. This could be a really important way of sitting down and saying, these are the things that my faith and I find really important, and here's why, and having a conversation about them. And you could use these rubrics to go back and forth. How is this an expectation? What is God like? What does God expect? What is God like as a parent? Um, why would I confess this? Why would I have some conversations about my relationship with the Ten Commandments? What does this mean for how I get up and live in the morning? So to me, this is a really handy little tool about having conversations with our kids and especially our grandkids. All right, that's all I got for tonight. Thanks be to God. Amen.